Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast around conversations with the people shaping our culture today. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here. This week, we're excited to welcome Max Linsky to the show. Born and raised in Boston, Max is the co-founder of Longform, a website and podcast that celebrates the art of long-form journalism both in print and online. Right alongside WTF, it's one of the first podcasts I really got into. They've had great episodes with folks like David Remnick of The New Yorker, Elizabeth Gilbert, Malcolm Gladwell, Ta-Nehisi Coates. The show is so good, in fact, that over the summer, the Hillary Clinton campaign reached out to Max about the idea of doing a podcast with Hillary on the campaign trail. You're not alone if you think that idea sounds strange or far-fetched for our potential future president to be the co-host of a weekly podcast. Max was a little shocked, too. But it happened. Since August, Max has sat down with Hillary or someone from the Clinton campaign to just talk. The conversation is casual, interested in, as Linsky says, feeling. Titled With Her, it's a show that wants to understand the headspace of someone who is running for the Oval Office, especially in this election. This is your last chance if you can bail now, we don't have to do this podcast. But uh, if we do this, then we got to do it. This is your last opportunity to say, I don't want to do it. The last opportunity? I can't do it like midway no, you can't, through? You can't bail after this. This is the oh, moment. Are we doing man. it or are we not doing it? You are really making this hard. Okay, we're doing it. <laughs> With Her is the first show under the Pineapple Street banner, a podcast slash media company 
Linsky founded in May with the sort of godmother of podcasting, Jenna Weisbergman. When I spoke to Max for the episode, he was kind enough to invite me to his office in New York. We recorded it where I believe most of the long-form episodes have been recorded, admittedly giving Max the home court advantage. But it was fascinating and perhaps a little meta to talk about the state of podcasting, the art of interviewing, and, of course, his experiences with Hillary Clinton. First, though, we dive into Max's upbringing and the wild adventures of his 20s. So, finally, here is Max Linsky. You're from Florida. No, not from Florida. I lived in Florida for a little while. Okay. I I um I worked in Florida for a bit, but I'm from uh Boston. I lived in Boston until I was 13, mm-hmm. and then I moved here to New York City. Okay. Uh, you seem a little nice from being you know, considering you're from Boston. You seem like a nice like, guy. <laughs> I think what you're saying is like you're less racist than most people from Boston. Um, Your words, not mine. Yeah, I take I take pride in not being a racist <laughs> asshole. Uh, yeah, my connection to Boston is weird because. I left it like you know I left after eighth grade Mm -hmm. and so like when I go back there I know it in this very weird way like I don't really know where to get a drink but I like because you weren't of age yeah yeah, but I like know where like the good baseball card store used to be and like I'll find myself like driving and taking like a really circuitous route and I don't know why Mm. and then there's like a huge downhill and I realized (laughs) like that was the way I would go so like my I would because I was on a bike and I wanted to go fast down a hill. Um, so, yeah, I don't – but other than that, I don't feel a ton of connection to Boston. I'm kind of in it for the sports teams. Uh, but that doesn't even make sense. Don't you have a Cleveland Browns podcast? Yeah, I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan. Okay. Is that, that the premise of the podcast? Well, no, that that was a weird one, man. They just wanted to do a show, and they brought me and Aaron out there. Aaron's the guy I do long form with. And – um to like teach them about podcasting. Mm. And so we spent like a day with the Cleveland Browns and it just seemed like a lark, like a funny <laughs> thing to do. And, uh, and we were, <laughs> we were like, this is what podcasting is. This is a, uh, what iTunes is. And, um, and, but like at the Cleveland Browns pra- like practice facility, mm. it was just such a random way to spend like a Tuesday. And, um, and oh, then, or any day yeah. or any day. Yeah. And then, uh, at the end we were like, well, if it was us, what we do is like a show where you interviewed people and not just the players, but like coaches and random people from all over the organization. And, uh, and then they called back a couple of days later and they were like, uh, do you want to do it? <laughs> and I was like, sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I the, literally the first time I'd ever been to Cleveland was to talk to the Cleveland Browns. Mm. So what happened after thirteen? Uh, we moved here. Moved to New, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, well, I lived on uh, in Manhattan. Okay. My mom got a job, and we moved for my mom. She was an art director. She was a graphic designer. Oh. And she got a job working at Newsweek magazine. Hey, remember yeah. the Newsweek was. Uh, yeah, she worked at Newsweek when Newsweek was like the thing. Yeah, and also like uh, just huge, huge in a way you can't even understand. Like, <laughs> well, explain it to me, Max. There were there. I would go to her office. She uh, she had this office on Fifty Seventh Street, and um, you know, like the Soup Nazi episode of Seinfeld. Um, yeah, religiously. <laughs> yeah, so the Soup Nazi is on Fifty Fifth. And was oh, that true? Is yeah. That, okay. And the high school I went to had like a thousand holidays. So sometimes on holidays I would go to the soup Nazi and get soup and bring it up and like have lunch with my mom in her office. And 
there are so many people who worked at Newsweek. <laughs> so many people, like thousands of people yeah. worked at that weekly news magazine. And uh, now thousands of people do not work at that weekly right. news magazine. Well, people were living it up. That's the thing. The, that, the, the print media. Yeah. I don't know if like, I'm supposed to talk about this, but she, um, she was able to expense any cultural activity. Like if they, if like my folks went to a Broadway show, right. she just like handed in that receipt because it's just good for her to know about that. Right, I guess right. different, different time, man, different era. Um, you know, it's a little bit why things came crumbling down. Yeah, totally. I mean, yes. There are other reasons, but like people were certainly living beyond their means. Well, sort of. Uh, they were their means at the time. They were making enough money then. Yeah, would, but it's very difficult when you're making that much money to ever imagine a scenario in which you're not making that much money. Which is like, is that just making money though? Is that is that? I think it's actually more about power than it is about money. Like, I think it was just impossible for major media organizations to imagine that to they would them. ever be anything but the main source. Mm. And you know, that's like, but that's like. Uh, a personal thing too, mm-hmm. you know, like I think it's a very human thing to, um, take your advantage for granted and believe it's like a birthright, you uh-huh. know, um, not that it's like, um, uh, something that maybe you sort of like lucked into and could be taken away from you too. Mm. Do you take it for granted? Uh, do I take it for granted? Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, like I'm probably a schmuck about some stuff. I don't take like my wife for granted or my kid. Mm. I'm, I I feel like pretty actively lucky about that. It seems like a good good thing. Yeah, it's good. They're both good. I like them a ton. <laughs> They're awesome. They're you know, great roommates. I love I love, you know, I love when people say that they like you know they they like their wife and their kid. Yeah, my wife is the shit. Yeah, she is. Um, is she smarter than you? Definitely, yeah. way way smarter than me. That seems to always be a sign of a good relationship. Is that? Yeah, she's she. That was actually that. It's funny that you say that, man, because that was the way that I described her. Uh, when we first started dating, that was like what I told people about her. They were like, what is yeah. she like? And I was like, well, first off, she's just much smarter than I am. She's also like a uh, better person, like f- unequivocally better person. Mm. She's an eighth grade special ed teacher yeah. at a public school in Brooklyn. I mean, you're only okay. That's the thing. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm a fucking dilettante. I just yeah. sit in here and talk to people. She like goes and like, improves people's lives, you know? It's, it's an amazing thing. I have all these friends who are like married to journalists and- God, Why? <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> but there's this thing that I imagine for them, which I can't totally wrap my head around, which is like going home at the end of the day and just talking about the same shit that I was like looking at all day on the internet, you know, and having the same weight and importance. And like my experience is I go home and like I'll walk in the door and say like, you won't believe what this person tweeted today. And <laughs> Meredith will just be like, I pulled like a knife off a kid while he was like <laughs> trying to stab somebody else you know and it's like oh i'm gonna uh i'm gonna shut the fuck up about twitter i yeah. think um i my life is basically nonsense it puts things in perspective pretty instantly yeah so are you going to the newsweek office as a kid and then seeing like is that your first idea of magazine uh my mom worked at the boston globe like mm. my whole childhood okay so and so I would like, uh, I was like a total latchkey kid. My parents like didn't get home till late. And so if I ever got in trouble, the only way they could punish me was by just making me come to their offices. <laughs> so and I got in trouble a little bit. So did it intrigue you early on? Yeah. I think there's a, I, I think about that a lot, right? Like if, if my mother had not been in media, if that hadn't been something my dad had done, whether that's where I would have ended up, like 
I remember very clearly when I started to like like writing for magazines and stuff, um, thinking it was so like novel. And I just found my path there mm-hmm. and then realizing like, nope, that was actually the, like the only thing I'd seen. It was right there. Yeah, yeah. It was like the only thing that was demystified at all. Yeah. Um, so no, that wasn't totally my first exposure to it. I kind of like grew up around newsrooms, but it was definitely on a different scale for mm-hmm. sure. And college, what were you doing then? Nothing. Good. Being a schmuck. You're being a schmuck where? Uh, Wesleyan University. That's a good school. Yeah, very good school. Very yeah, good school. How'd you get into there if you're such a schmuck? Um, this is uh, uh, the answer to that question is um, I did well on my SATs and poorly in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was waitlisted at Wesleyan. And I went for the, they, uh, I got this letter that was saying, You've been waitlisted, but we would like to meet with you. And I went to Middletown, Connecticut and sat in the admissions office with some dean of admissions. And the guy basically said, like, we think you are capable of doing the work at this school. We are not totally convinced that you will do it. Mm-hmm. Will you do it? And I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And then they let me in. Man, this insecurity and uncertainty runs deep. <laughs> yeah, man. Like you, from, you're the one who wanted to do the interview. From, the, begin- <laughs> from the beginning. All right, so did you find your footing in college? Um, college was great. In some respects. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, uh, my wife. You met her in college. Met her in college. Aaron went to Wesleyan. Oh, okay. Um, How did you meet your wife? Do you remember, (laughs) remember, like, the first time? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's a small school, so, like, we kind of knew each other a little bit. But the real story, this is is true. Uh, I had lived in Cape Town, South Africa, for, like, six months. And I was friends with a guy there named Klaus Jürgen Schmidt. And Klaus Jürgen Schmidt was this fantastic artist. Uh, the real name. The real name. And Klaus um, had never left Cape Town. And I gave him On the Road to read while I was there. And he got really obsessed with On the Road. I was pretty into it too. And uh, in the last night I was there, we had like a big party. And he came up to me and uh, he was real drunk. And he, and he made me promise that if I ever... If he could ever get to America, I'd drive cross country with him. And I was like, "Well, you're dead broke and never even left the city. There's no way you're gonna ever come." Sure, you know. And then uh, I got a call like a couple months later, and it was Klaus, and he had won a radio contest. And the radio contest was a, a plane flight to Boston. And uh, and so he was like, "June fifteenth, I land in Boston. You have to pick me up." Uh, and I was like, I promised the guy. So I went and picked him up and he had $112 and he was going to be in America for three months. What year is this? Mm, 2002. No. Yeah. 2002. So you're what? Like 22? Yeah. Uh, anyway, the point of the story is Klaus and I drive cross country has no money. We're sleeping in the car all the time. Uh, having great adventures. Uh, we have a, a tremendous misadventure in New Orleans, which involves uh, Klaus being proposed to. Um, by a uh, girl we had been hanging out with and deciding that he didn't want to marry her and, in fact, wanted to leave New Orleans uh, at, like, 3.30 in the morning. And so we left New Orleans at 3.30 in the morning in my, like, 20-year-old Jeep, and we got to Houston right at rush hour on, like, a 110-degree day, like, middle of July, dead center of July. And it was, like, standstill gridlock in Houston, and the Jeep started making these sounds I've, I've like never heard a car make. It sounded like <laughs> kind of like whale sounds. Like it was just like dying. Do you, do, do you want to do an impression? No. <laughs> and uh, and um, I was like, this is not good. 
we got through the traffic and I was like, this car definitely could not drive to California and back. Um, what are we going to do? And I knew one person in the state of Texas and it was this girl that I, I was going to college with who I didn't know very well. And I called her and was like, this is Max from college. I'm in Texas. Can I come to your house? And cause I need a place to stay. We had, we had no money. So we had like nowhere to stay and we needed to put the car in the shop. And, uh, and yeah, I married that girl. Max, <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. She came with us to California. She and her friend, we took their car and we drove to California, drove back. And then she went to Cuba for like six months. And then we came back to college, got together at the end of college and then left college. And she went to India and I went back to South Africa and we were apart for a long time. And then, well, hold on, hold on. But so you, (laughs) so you call her, you Mm -hmm. guys are like not that close. No. And she's like, I had to say like Max from college. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she said, okay, yeah, come, come over. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, I've got this like deranged South African kid with me too. That was fine. Why do you think she said yes to that? I don't know. I mean, what else was she going to do? No. I mean, it wasn't like a fucking serial killer. Like she'd seen me around. Uh, um, but she was just, you know, she was doing me a solid. Mm-hmm. Not, that's not like a thing that happens all the time. I mean, it, uh, it was the last time it happened to me for sure. Well, yeah, because you got married <laughs> to this person. <laughs> and then you go back to school to finish. Back to school to finish. I have real uh, regrets about college. I'll tell you about them if you want to know. Go ahead. I can't really talk about college without talking about it. Like, I was uh, friends, lived with the same group of, of guys for four years. Mm-hmm. And they were all people who lived, like, within, like, an arm's length of me when we were freshmen. And they're all, like, good good dudes. But it was real, like, friends by proximity. And we spent a lot of time, like, right. sitting in our house, like, smoking weed and talking about how people were assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and college ended and I lost touch with most of them one of them two of them I'm in real close touch with one of them is you know like one of my closest friends but uh, I spent all this time Sam with these people who like uh, I just happen to know you know and meanwhile there are all these fascinating people and I had no responsibilities or anything to do and what I chose to do with my time for the most part was like bitch Mm -hmm. like sit on a couch and and bitch why did you do that I don't know, like some combination of like laziness and fear, I think. Mm. But, um, I mean, the laziness may be exacerbated. (laughs) Yeah, they fit together. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, it's it's a funny thing because I do, I feel like so lucky to have gone there and I irrevocably changed my life in all these really positive ways. Mm. But I kind of like, I just, I took such minimal advantage of that situation. But it can't be undone. No, certainly not. But but it upsets you now still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm not like, it's not, I don't think about it a lot, but mm-hmm. that is like a, a very present thought for me when I think about college. It's just like, could have done that better. In the moment, did you feel like you could have been doing it better? No, I like wanted to leave. Just, just wanted to be done with it. Yeah. And do what? Go have adventures and like, you know, break down on girls doorsteps and stuff like that you know yeah i wanted to go like live in the world mm. you know Break i wanted down to go girls. yeah i wanted to go go uh live lots of crazy places and do crazy things did you do that yeah i did live a lot of crazy places i didn't really do crazy things um but took this job in florida what was the job i was a staff writer at the weekly planet the alternative news weekly uh <laughs> it was the best job i'll ever have i'll tell you that um that's not true there's no way tell me tell me how that's true it was amazing. 
Okay. It was a print newspaper. It came out once a week. Uh, there was a website, but all they did was like take the stuff that was in the paper and put it on the website. Mm. I got a column after like a month. And what, the, what was what was Max's column at twenty three? It was like Max, the Adventures of Max. <laughs> like I could write about anything I wanted. I had to be a character in it, and that is great. It was amazing. I got paid to like learn how to do this, and I had to write one piece a week. I couldn't. And then I had to articles. write. Yeah, well, they're pretty well buried, but like. <laughs> Uh, and then I had to write a cover story once a month, and there were these brilliant, experienced journalists who worked at the paper who were kind enough to like stay up late with me working on stories and trying to make stuff better. Uh, I had to like convince the editor to start a blog so we could write things not on a weekly schedule. <laughs> like, um, it was great. It was super fun. So then I don't think you should be able to... I don't think you can regret the college stuff if it led you to that, right? No, no, no. It worked fine. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, yeah, I do. He, I have this experience sometimes, like, a friend will come in from out of town, mm-hmm. and maybe I've had, like, a long day, or I'm busy, or I'm worried about something, right? And you're like, go and see the person, as you intended to, mm-hmm. have a couple of drinks, have dinner or something, and sometimes you just walk away, and you're like, I wasn't totally there for that. It was fine. It's totally fine. But I wasn't all there, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about college. It was like, it was great. It was great in all these ways. But like, I left kind of just wanting to like, <laughs> you know, like call college and be like, ah, eh, come on, let's have one more drink. There was like some question I didn't get to ask you or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, it's not like a, a, it's not like a, a deep burning regret. It's just mm. kind of this like, uh, kind of like hollow, I could have done that better. Yeah. But you're also talking about presence. Yeah. Do you find that you're not present all the time? Definitely not. Are you present all the time? Uh, no. That'd no. be amazing. Yeah. That's like the whole thing, right? Uh, uh, isn't that what Hillary <laughs> Yeah, she is, man. She is good at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but rather, uh, let me be more specific. Like, do you find that on this trip, prime example, I've been visiting people I don't get to see. Yeah. When I'm at dinner with them or lunch or whatever, I'm trying my absolute best to like, my phone is off, my computer's closed. I'm trying to be there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's super hard. And the thing, I guess the thing about like the friend out of town, the friend in from out of town metaphor is just like, um, you don't get a lot of shots, mm. you know? Right. Um, and that's what I, I get anxious about because I don't, I don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. Like I always feel like the, I'm the lasting impression I give someone. I'm like, oh man, I really got to make sure I get that closing line right. I don't know. I, I get... I overthink it. I well, think. you can take a couple takes with the ending if you want to for this, okay. but uh, Thanks, I don't know, man. You've done what thirty something episodes mm-hmm. of this. Like, there are some right where you walk away and you just like feel full. Yeah. And then there's others where it doesn't quite get there. Yeah. You know. And how have you reconciled with that? I haven't. I haven't figured that out at all. Okay. It's a. It's a. Um, I was hoping you had. <laughs> I had the key to that one. No, man. That's a thing. Like, I mean, you can ask Jenna. Like, I. Uh, I go through like real like withdrawal after these interviews and feel like I screwed them up and stuff. But uh, there's someone I just know I was all there and some someone I wasn't, and that's well, my high bar. It's like I don't want to. I, I don't really care about like having said the perfect thing, but if it doesn't get to that place. I'm pretty bummed out, and mm-hmm. I usually assume it's my fault. I was going to ask you about, I think I heard you talk about this, but the sort of act of falling in love with someone in the middle of the interview. I remember Aaron and like Evan like making fun of you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I feel like those guys are always making, like, Max started crying during the interview. Yeah, yeah, it was like, I forgot what episode. It wasn't 
You haven't had Joan Didion on, but it was it was. Um, oh, it was Renata Adler. It was Renata Adler. Yeah. How did you know that that's who I was talking about? Is it well, in the same same genre, but also I remember that one because I was like, you guys, I think I really fell in love with Renata Adler. And yeah. They're both like, yeah, dude, yeah, it's kind of how all these go with you. <laughs> um, I did kind of fall in love with Renata Adler. Yeah, oh, that's true. Okay. Um, but do you find that it's a reoccurring thing with you? Um. I really like talking to people who, who are closer to the end of their life than I am. Uh, and I think the only other person I've actually said that about was Talise. I interviewed Talise like years ago and um, I felt that way then too. They're just like, obviously it's a complicated figure, but um, I just have tremendous affection for um, those two in, it, in particular and there's something about those conversations and I don't know whether it's generational or whether it's being at that point in your life or whether it's that not many people want to spend two hours with Renata you know or ask very often a lot of people would love to spend two hours with her but not a lot of people ask um, but those folks are totally present mm. I mean she was completely there yeah. and um, and absolutely thinking in real time and uh, did not feel like she had much to lose. Uh, and that, yeah, that's like, uh, that's the whole thing. It's super appealing. Mm. Why do you think people open up to you? I definitely give a shit, you know? So I think, like, just thinking about, like, long form, I think people open up to Aaron and Evan and I uh, equally but differently and um, about different things, maybe. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know, man. That I would be interested in what you think about this too. But in my opinion, it's like that's actually the only thing that matters with these things. It's like whether you actually care. <laughs> you know, if you care, sure, you might go like really far down a rabbit hole. Like you could have kept asking me questions about meeting my wife in 2002 for a long time if you would want to do. Um, it's probably not super interesting to most people, but <laughs> it's interesting to me. And I, I would ask you that not on the podcast, right? And therefore, like, uh, it could get somewhere interesting. Right, because I don't think it's very often you're saying like journalists don't get asked to be interviewed very often. Don Cheadle doesn't get people to actually listen to him very often either. You know, it's rare. That, listening, yeah, listening is is rare. Like, not to be too meta about it, but like what you and I are doing now, it's weird, right? We've never met before. No, should have been my office forty minutes ago. Wrote me an email, said you wanted to do this. Um, if you had said I want to get coffee. I probably would have gotten coffee with you because I like your podcast, but uh, I say no to those a lot because mm-hmm. I feel very busy at the moment. Um, but it's like, oh, you want to sit with microphones and like talk about our feelings? <laughs> well, I'll do that. You know, I'm game. I'm game for that part of it. Um, and I think it's just rare that you really get to sit down with someone and sort of like ask them what you really want to know. And I mean, I was saying this too. I interviewed uh, Krista Tippett recently. Mm-hmm. And I was, we were talking about that too. Like this whole thing feels like a con to me, <laughs> you know, like it feels like a scam, straight scam. <laughs> like what you and I are doing. Yeah. Like, you know, this summer I went and interviewed David Remnick. I sat in the New Yorker office in their little like fancy radio studio yeah. and asked David Remnick questions for like two hours or an hour and a half. It was, you know, it's amazing. Like, just an amazing way to spend 90 minutes mm. and i don't think that there was any other 
means by which I would have been able to do that. And certainly not just sit there and be like, tell me about your fears as a boss. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it just feels like a, it feels like a con. Right. You put some microphones in front of it and all of a sudden David Remnick will like tell you about his anxieties. Has the long form podcast gone how you wanted it to? I didn't know how I wanted it to go. It's definitely exceeded expectations just like long form did, you mm-hmm. know? Um, Has it disappointed you at all? Um, like not done. Once you had reached a certain point, is there something else you want it to do that hasn't happened? I don't know. I've never really thought about it that way. I don't feel like very. I I never feel like very content with work. Mm. Like I don't. I'm not good at like celebrating when stuff goes well. Yeah, small victories or any victories. Yeah, I just like I don't know. I mean, maybe again, I'm sort of like interested in what you think of this. But yeah, for me, it's like um, it's hard to. Um, I'm not good at being like this is this is awesome this is crazy this I don't like do you set goals yeah oh that, but, but like not re- like they're in my head they're like yeah do I, do I write them out on a, like a whiteboard <laughs> I think I just I just I set like ideas mm-hmm. that I'd like to execute in some way or another yeah yeah I don't I'm not good at that like I didn't have something that was like if I can just do X, Y, and Z oh, with that. the podcast. Yeah, yeah that. Um, no, but I mean, that, but I think that's part of not being able to like really enjoy things when they go well, mm-hmm. you know, is like you didn't say this is something I'm trying to do. So um, I'm still bad at that. But the, the thing is like I, even when things go well, I'm, I'm skeptical. <laughs> but then, <laughs> you think like the other shoe's going to drop? Yeah. But then, you know, not to do it therapist it's like that's such a waste of time it's so silly to not rejoice in like the good things that happen to us and so many max so many good things yeah happen to you totally totally yeah happen to me so yeah. it's just like yeah i mean yeah it's definitely a waste of time although it's not even like i just um it's, it's not even quite as negative as you're uh as it feels to you like i'm just saying like you know there was like a period of a couple of days where like I was just walking around my house and like occasionally I would just turn to Meredith and be like, I cannot believe I'm an interview. I cannot believe I'm an interview Hillary Clinton. That is fucking crazy. That's a crazy thing yeah. to happen in my life. That is insane. Hillary Clinton. That's crazy. And weren't you smiling when you were doing totally. that? Totally. Yeah. But then it was like, <laughs> like a week into it, it was just like, we got to do another one of these Hillary podcasts. Like, uh, like we got to get on these logistics Let's start thinking about questions the, the like, logistics, yeah. yeah, like it was just like, this is just a thing that's happening now. Imme- it immediately translates from, oh my God, that's happening to, all right, what's the email? Like, let's just like schedule it out on Google Calendar. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's just like, oh, all right. Now it's like, we got to do this work. Right. Um, let's talk about Hillary. Okay. Has she taught you anything about yourself talking to her? Yeah. Yeah. I think she has. Um, a couple of things. One thing is... You and I are wired a little similarly, I think. And yeah, it's a little scary, actually. Yeah, this is going to be like your most meta episode yet. But um, <laughs> if someone like doesn't like me, it bothers me. Yeah. Right. I'm like not. It's hard. It's a hard one for me. I want to like talk it out with people who don't like me. Um, and you want to talk it out and convince them to to like you, or I just want to understand. understand. It's just like, like what, what did I do wrong? What's yeah, I just want to know what the story is. Yeah. And um, and she does not give a shit on such a profound and inspiring <laughs> level you know and like i caught a bunch of i caught one one millionth of what she does every day right when the thing launched you know and i was like getting like crazy anti-semitic stuff and um 
you know, there were a bunch of like, like articles about it that were pretty harsh. And I it was amazing because I think so much of the criticism of her is not actually about her at all. And it's been, it's been amazing since I started doing this, right? Like everyone wants to talk to me about her. Like everyone I meet has just has Hillary questions, but they're not even questions. They're like, um, opinions expressed as fact. Like people are so sure that they, they're so sure of their opinions about her that they present them to me as fact and then ask me to confirm them. And, <laughs> and do you No, Cause they're wrong for the most part. It's not like I know her super well, like talk to her a couple of times, but it's so clear to me that, people's projections onto her are about almost everything but her like mm. her as a person uh, a lot of the time uh, and that's been valuable in the like um, I need to go on a fucking listening tour of everyone who's like ever been kind of annoyed by me you know like um, uh, it has been interesting and helpful in terms of uh, having a tougher skin uh, like I actually wasn't very phased by those articles and I think at a different time, it would have uh, would beat me up pretty good. Mm. The other thing that taught me is, like, I won't totally blow it. Like, there was a some percentage chance that, like, I was just going to sit down at that table and just, like, just, like, puke on the table. You know, like, I was just going to just not be able <laughs> to comport myself in a way uh, that that was worth my being there. And... Well, that would have showed, like, your limits. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was just like, I was pretty nervous, and uh, she wasn't, and... Did you, gener- did you generally get nervous before the interviews? Sometimes, but I was a lot more nervous for that one than I've been for any other one. Understandable. And, uh, and like, at some point it was like, I was just talking to somebody, mm-hmm. you know? That's how it felt at least. How quickly did it come... To that point where it felt quickly because she was she was so comfortable. Like for her, it's just like it was the easiest thing she was going to do all day. It's just like sit with some dude, yeah, talk. Um, so she was so calm and and comfortable that it was pretty easy to get there. But yeah, that that like I feel like that was like it's a weird analogy. But I was once on this like very tiny plane in Africa, and like almost famous style, like the plane dropped like 10,000 feet <laughs> and the pilot got on and was like crass positions and people were freaking out and crying and uh, praying and just like speaking in tongues. It was a really small plane. There was like 10 people on the plane and people were losing their shit and it was jumping up and down and you were smashing into the windows and stuff. What were you doing? Super calm. Super calm. And how old are you here? Nineteen, maybe. And I was just like, it was super. It was wild, and like the plane righted itself for a second. The guy like kind of like half crash landed, like like hit the uh, hit a tarmac. It was the wrong airport, and it like bounced up like several hundred feet and came back down. Like it was wild landing. Stopped like just short of a tree. Like went way off the runway, and uh, totally calm the whole time. And it's a little like that, you know, it's just like, um, there was a bunch of ways this could have gone and like, I'm okay. You know, 
you don't know how it's going to go when you're going to like interview someone who might be president. You could uh, totally freak out or say like really awkward things or like fumble around and not be able to ask questions. And uh, I was like, oh, here's the thing I know about myself. If a plane is crashing, uh, I'll like be all right. And if I have to interview Hillary Clinton, I will not like sweat so profusely that it's gross and she gets up and walks away. The night, the story in, at age nineteen, are you on the plane? How did in the moment were you like, oh yeah, this is. This is okay. I sounds, you, you had sounds ridiculous. You had perspective already in the moment. Like, no, it's just like I don't know, man. I just wasn't scared. It felt out of my hands. Like it just felt. T- I was. I was aware that I was not in any control of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was just gonna, I, I'm like, it sounds. It's all the whole thing sounds corny. I know. It was just like I. I, I was surprised that I was not scared, but I wasn't scared. I'm surprised too. Yeah, it's wild. I'm but scared it, of all kinds of shit. What are you scared of? <laughs> Uh, I really walked into that one. Yeah. Um, and don't what? don't get me like this. I'm scared of spiders type bullshit. No, no, no. I'm not scared of spiders. <laughs> um, my dad's 76. He just fell last week. He's in Italy. He fell and broke his femur in half, and he just had like emergency hip replacement surgery. It was so high up that it was like broke that they had to replace his hip he's at some like middle of nowhere hospital in italy and uh just him my mom is there too and uh but it was scary like we tried to find another place for him to get operated on and you know he's spooked and um pretty scared of him dying like that guy a lot i'd really like him to not die Mm. uh been thinking about him a lot but he's okay yeah the surgery is all right is your mom the same age my mom's a little younger a little younger yeah uh i mean i'm close to both of them but like he's uh he's fun to talk to yeah talk to him a lot what frustrates me is like uh what scares me is the same thing when i get afraid of dying which is that i can't um i can't figure out like a door that will get me out of it like a door that will like save me from like I can't figure out the thing and I don't think there is one and that I'm pretty sure there's not uh, but yeah I'm really scared of that I'm really scared of what it's going to be like to uh, such a like <laughs> such a selfish way to think of it but I am very scared of what it's going to be like to uh, not be able to call that guy Um, but it's just like there's something about this week with him like getting hurt in this way and uh, just you know it's more present than it normally is did you want to like fly out there yeah that was part of what was weird man was like any other time I feel like any other time in my life like I just would have been on a plane and I got that phone call and was like immediately like looking at flights and trying to figure it out but it's like you know got a kid got this company got these people who work for me you got Hillary Got to interview Hillary Clinton. You know, like, literally, I would have had to cancel an interview with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked to him, and he was like, doesn't make any sense. Don't come here. What's your work-personal life, like, ratio? Do you find that you put work before everything else? I don't know. Like, do you think about the podcast as work? Maybe something. Yeah. No. I love it. So That's how I feel. I don't know. Uh, sure, but it's still, regardless, it doesn't take away from the fact that um, 
like one I don't have a kid and I'm not married yeah. so like you're still not with them when they're doing the podcast I'm sure you love I'm not saying it's you don't love the work I'm much more protective of my weekends than I used to be <clears throat> um, that seems like an adult thing yeah like I hang like that kid wakes up at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday and I basically with him until he goes <laughs> to bed at 8 o'clock on Sunday night oh my god you're waking up at 6.30 on a Saturday I wake up at 6.30 every day Oh, okay. Is that your routine? Yeah. Yeah, go that's when this kid wakes up. Mm. And then that's when you wake up. Okay. And then you go make that kid scrambled eggs and a piece of toast. Do you go to bed early, too? I've had such a bad week, Sam. I feel like such shit right now. I can't even tell you. I've got, I haven't gotten to bed before midnight in four nights. Mm. And uh, I'm old now. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> you seem okay right now, though. I mean, you seem tired. You uh, Talking to you has made me feel better. It's <laughs> true. <Sure. laughs> okay. The answer to that previous question is I really like work. Like, what I do is really fun. And some of it is hard, and some of it's, like, painstaking. But, um, like, right now, rules. Like, this moment, yeah. Yeah, right now is great. Yeah. You know? Like, what's happening right now is um, I do this podcast where I talk to, like, people whose work I admire tremendously. Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. I spend two days a week working with Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham on their podcast. Like, just sit with those guys and listen to them talk out loud. Feels like a very privileged space to be in. They're great. Uh, occasion- occasionally I go and interview Knock on Wood, the next president of the United States. Um, Is this peak Max right now? <laughs> I fucking hope not, dude. But it's it's uh, it's pretty fun. And then, like, you know, I'm doing this thing with... Uh, Jenna Weiss-Berman is the best. Mm-hmm. Has the Hillary stuff passed, um, like, surrealism? Like, does it feel... It's kind of like what we were talking about before, you know, where, like, most of the time it's just, like, something that I'm doing. Mm. And it's crazy, you know? Like, I'm aware of that it is crazy. But the thing you learn, right, is that um, all these people are just people. They're really smart. And a lot of them have, like, tremendous power. Uh, but they're still just people. Yeah. And, um, I find that to be like incredibly validating and inspiring thing. Yeah. It's like, it's messy and they're just trying to make things work too. Mm. Um, that's, what, that's, and you've seen it at like the Hillary is like that level. Yeah. They're, like, they're still just trying to figure it I out know, every they're day. Just, they're just trying to live their life. I know they're it's amazing. <laughs> and I find that like, I always assumed that like behind door number two was like just a world of. totally organized people with five-year plans who are like just checking boxes all day and it doesn't exist no it doesn't exist and it's so i find it so um appealing it kind of makes everything okay totally because i definitely do not have any boxes to check Mm -hmm. and you're a young man i uh you're you're still young ish i'm not gonna ever like be a box check person i think no like I'm not, I'm never going to figure out that level of organization <laughs> system. Have you ever tried to do a bullet journal? What is that, Max? <laughs> it's like a life hacky thing that was like, it's so appealing. You watch these videos on the internet, and it's just like, here's a notebook, and you can organize your entire life and like all of your goals and all of your to do lists, and, and that's like all you need is this little key, and like everything works. It just takes five minutes to set up your bullet journal, and like, I I did it like a, like a year ago. Oh, good. I bought a notebook. And I set up this bullet journal, and I was, like, writing out the, like, legend, you know, like, you make up icons for different things. And I had this moment where I was, like, making up this icon, and I was like, whoa, I have totally done this before. 
and I found another notebook, which I had like three years before. It's a mother depth of like, I have totally disorganized. I've been like, I'm going to do one of these bullet journals. The point of the story is I'm never going to do a bullet journal. Like I'm never going to be totally organized. Or and have you're going to keep out. returning to the bullet journal. Yeah. After every, you every couple of years, like when I'm tired and, and, uh, and feeling badly, about myself, I will I will take some desperate swing at a bullet journal, but it's not gonna it's never gonna take. What did you write? I didn't even get there. Like I just set what up the, the lines. One? Nothing. I you just still didn't I write disregarded that one too. Jesus Christ, yeah, Max. That's what I'm saying. Is like uh like uh but I find it so appealing to know that no one really has it all figured out. No. Even if you uh can't get your act together to do a bullet journal. Mm-hmm. What about writing? What about where's like what ha- what happened to you writing? What happened to you writing about Brain Gym Showdown. <laughs> um, what happened to, about I writing? read that today. Yeah. That was good, Max. Kick the shit out of those old people. Yeah, well, uh, well, she gave you a run for your money. <laughs> Ava. Um, I got offered this job to edit a newspaper when I was like 24. And I took it. And um, it was a really weird job. It was really hard. I wasn't very good at it. Um but based on what what was I not very good at no no based on like why did you get hired so that job I was telling you about that was like my the best job I'll ever yeah, have yeah, yeah. it was Co- at a Colin. chain okay and uh I quit cause the girl from Texas was living in San Francisco and I was like I need to go be where that girl is mm. and uh they were like the day after I quit they like called me and they were like do you want to edit this other paper in the chain and it was a really small paper um but I was like gonna be the boss yeah um so i did it and um it was really hard super hard i was so unprepared and overwhelmed and uh i could have written a lot in that job and didn't and i haven't really written very much since Mm. but it seemed like something you wanted to do right definitely yeah and i think i I told myself that uh like and i wanted to write features like i wanted to write long magazine articles right like i what i wanted to do was like get a job at the New Yorker. That was like all I wanted in life. Um, when did that change? I think it just seemed too hard. Like, I think I decided I wasn't good enough at it. And do you still think that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't written anything in a long time. Uh, and for a long time I missed it. Um, and I felt conflicted about it. And uh, I called a friend of mine like two years ago, maybe. And it's like this fantastic writer and editor and uh, and tough, she's real tough. And I called her and was like, listen, I want to write a column. And I need someone to just like hold me to it. So you're going to be that person. And she was like, okay. And she did it, like totally harassed me. And I sent her one column. And then I stopped sending them. And I saw her at a wedding actually a couple weeks ago. And she was like, I stopped harassing you about that column. Uh, can you just let me off the hook now? Are you like, are you feeling sated? Do you still have this like empty place in your creative soul or whatever? And I was like, yeah, I feel fine now. You don't have to feel bad about that. But I do think that doing these interviews has scratched some of that itch for mm-hmm. me. Like, um, I definitely don't, th- I don't think about writing very much. Like before we started doing the podcast, I think for me, I did feel this like uh, something of like a void. Like I didn't feel like I was like putting anything out in the world. And um, I really like doing these interviews a lot. 
and I think it has uh, replaced that. But sometimes listening to those, I get inspired to write because of those interviews. I would think, like, I mean, some of those conversations you have, like, you're so close to it, I almost, I don't know, I would imagine you'd be like, oh, not. I mean, you can take this however you want. The, the truth is that, like, my experience of those conversations is, like, I don't have the, like, talent or desire to do this at this level. Mm. That's been my experience of doing the long-form <laughs> podcast. Is, like, is that the overarching? Is, is, you know. at, at least as it relates to my writing, yeah. Like, definitely, I have not... I don't finish these things and be like, I want to stop doing all of this and yeah. go spend, like, three months working on a piece. I don't really mean that. I just meant, like, you clearly are a good writer from the limited I've read. You have you have ability. You're a smart guy. Sure, sure, sure. Observant. You have resources. I feel like you could, theoretically, you could do it. But yeah. have you sat down and, like, tried and then it just didn't happen? No. No, I haven't sat down and tried. I've written almost nothing ever in my life that didn't, like, appear somewhere. So it's very hard for me to just, like, sit down and write something. Mm. But I can tell you, all I'm trying to tell you is, like, these interviews end and your experience may be, you are a writer. Like, you are currently writing. So that's the difference between you and I. But, like, your experience may be, like, that is inspiring and I want to go write more. And I leave these interviews and, like, <laughs> I really want to be a better interviewer. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I think about is, like, I want to I want to be much, much, much better at this. Right. Um, that's really important to me. Uh, Do you think you've gotten better? Yeah. I mean, the bar was pretty fucking low, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I do think I've gotten better. Mm. Um, like, how many questions do you have on that thing? No, there's no questions. Yeah, it's good. Like, when I started doing it, I had a thousand questions. No, no, this is just notes. This yeah. Is just, I actually have a little, it's a timeline mm-hmm. of your life, but very small. Yeah. That's, I, couldn't, I couldn't find much. That's yeah. the way to do it, though, yeah. is... Uh, like when I started, I would come in with this list of like a thousand questions. Yeah, no. And I mean, uh, how many times have you seen me look at this? No, you've been great. You've done great. Um, but th- that is a way that I've gotten better. Is like, uh, it feels like a little bit more of a high wire act. Mm, yeah. You know? Like you can kind of. It's all right here. Yeah, you, and you can like you can really like fall off. You can fall into weird, like weird places. But um, <laughs> uh, that's sometimes half the show. Yeah, yeah. I think that in that it forces you to listen. Mm. That is the whole thing. The whole thing about not having a bunch of questions in front of you mm. is it forces you to listen because you don't know what you're going to ask next, and the only thing you could possibly ask is related to something that the person just said. You just closed your notebook. That's awesome. Um, oh, because we have, I have one last thing. Oh, we're done. No, okay. we're not done. I got one last thing. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this has been so meta. It's ridiculous. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Um, I kind of want to put the Remnick question on you. Oh, okay. What was the Remnick question? The last thing you asked him. Oh, what do you want to do? Yeah, well, like, the Hillary podcast is ostensibly going to end. Maybe it'll come back for season two when she gets elected. <laughs> yeah, season two with Max and Hillary. Uh, the long term podcast is going well. You have the pineapple street stuff. Yeah. All of that's happening. Yeah. Is it enough? For what? You. Yeah, sure. I mean,. The pineapple stuff is is in a is in a fascinating place, and um, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, you know, my piece of this was that I just wanted to do another podcast. Mm. You know, and that was 
my that's what I uh, that was the energy that I brought to it uh, and obviously we're doing a whole bunch of other stuff um, but I feel like I'm in a great spot to do another podcast mm-hmm. so I'd like to do that but I don't know I mean is it enough I don't know man both things can be true like it's um, amazing and uh, all the stuff I get to do all day like I was saying before like it's fulfilling and wild and uh, definitely like exceeding any expectations I had and also most of the time I'm just like trying to think about what what's next mm. you know um, and then there's the time where you still think oh, I'm not that good at this yes I do think of that a lot um, but I don't think it's as bad I don't think it's that's such a bad instinct you know I think um, it's motivating yeah yeah. And like, you know, I don't think like false humility is very becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I've, I have fallen prey to that at some points. Um, do you just have actual humility now? I don't know. No, maybe. I don't know the answer to that question, but, uh, but like, I do want to get better at all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you can really actively want to get better if you don't feel like you can, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know what to tell you, Sam. I feel very lucky. Things right now are great. I'm gonna, like, we're going to shut off these microphones. I'm going to go home. Uh, there's going to be this, like, kid there and uh, this lady there. I like them both a lot. You mentioned that. Can't can't feel more, uh, can't feel more enough in that world and right now what I spend my days doing is like fun and challenging and uh, hard you know so that seems really good and also uh, if this is all I ever do I'll be bored as hell so it's both enough and not enough I guess (laughs) I guess we'll have to check back in in uh, a few years yeah, next time you come wandering around New York, you can pop over to where I am and uh, come into studio, and we can ask each other the same question over and over again. Okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> thanks for doing this, Sam. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey. I got you. Hey, thanks for doing this, Max. Thanks for taking the time. <laughs> well, there it is. You can regularly hear Max on both Longform and with her. Be sure to check both of those out wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll include them in the show notes. No one extra to thank this week. Just Max for doing the show, yeah, but mostly for everything else he's been doing. I can't imagine Talk Easy existing without the Longform podcast. So thank you, Max. People. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out past conversations with Sherman Alexi, Amy Nicholson, or Wesley Morris, whom Max works with on the Still Processing podcast. Secondly, if you thought what you heard today was, like, pretty good, it would help us a lot if you took two minutes out of your day to write a review of Talk Easy on iTunes. Each little positive sentiment helps new listeners find the show. If you're not currently doing so already... You can subscribe to the program on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop us a line about anything, feel free to email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, 
and Instagram at TalkEasyPod, as well as our website, www.TalkEasyPod.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod, as well as our website, www.TalkEasyPod.com. As always, our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Social media by Maria Mayella. The show is produced and edited by Corey Atad. I'm your host, San Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We're off next week with the election, so if you can, please, please, please go vote. Now more than ever. I'll see you back here on the 15th. Be well and so long. People. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.